Well, good morning to two of you. Good morning and happy Father's Day. Yeah. Some of you dads out there should be all hyped up on sugar. Do you see the donuts? Those are unbelievable. So you're like, there were donuts? Yeah, you can get those afterwards. Man, good to be here. Good to be back with you as we, uh, as we open God's word and worship him together on Sunday. This pause in our week to remember what matters. Remember who we are and who we belong to and to what we are called to. And so uh, you're going to want a Bible this morning. If you have a Bible, you can go on and open up to 1 Samuel 17. Uh, if you need a Bible, you have people walking around and uh, just slip up a hand. They'll put a Bible in your hand so you can follow along with us. But I know, uh, so today, obviously, being a special day of celebration for, uh, for all the fathers in the house. And I know some of you brand new fathers uh, celebrating your, your first Father's Day as a dad. Some expectant dads out there, so congratulations. Uh, we celebrate with you. Uh, but I also know that not everyone here, obviously, is a dad, although all of you have a dad. Uh, that, uh, but we recognize, too, again, as we even say with Mother's Day, it's a special remembrance, a time of celebrating all the mothers in our lives, both those that, and fathers in our lives, both those that brought us into this world, but also those who have shaped and formed us into who we are. But we also recognize that uh, days like today bring all kinds of different emotions and different feelings, that there's all kinds of different things that get stirred up around days like today. But there are two important things as your pastor that I want to remind you of on Father's Day that matter more than any hallmark sentiment. And that is this, that there are two essential realities that we hold on to on Father's Day. And number one is this, that as a man, and also for all you women out there, but as a man, you have a really great father. Now, I know there's all kinds of different experiences of, of the dads that raised you as boys or maybe did not raise you. But you have one who has never left you, has never failed you, has never turned his face away from you, has always loved you, always been faithful, always present, and always true. And so on Father's Day, we do celebrate that we all have one Good, perfect Father. Amen? And there are some of you I know that need to be refathered. And there are some of you that are learning what it means to really be a son. And it's from that place that we learn what it means to be a man. And the second is this that as a man, that God desires to strengthen and shape and form you. And I say this every man, listen, every, whether you're Seven or 70. God's desire is to strengthen, shape, and form you to be a really great father. God's desire is not just simply to call you forward as sons, but to release you as fathers. And you are never too late to become one. There may be some of you that look back on some seasons of your life, or maybe your kids are gone, and maybe they're estranged, or maybe things are difficult. There, you have a good father that calls you son, and he is shaping and forming, strengthening you to be the kind of man that can be 
a really good father to empower you and equip you. And we say that at Grace, that our desire is to raise up a generation of spiritual mothers and fathers because we have a world that is desperately in need of spiritual mothers and fathers. Amen? But you are God's plan for announcing and releasing his kingdom in the world. And I know that this is scary. I mean, it's a scary calling to become a father to receive what it means to truly be a son. It's scary to put ourselves on the line. It's scary to step in when we don't have all the answers, when we don't know how things are going to turn out. It's scary to show up when you don't know if you're going to be received or rejected. It's scary to stand there and absorb somebody else's pain or fear. It's scary. It's easier to retreat. It's easier to hide behind our baggage and our lies. It's easier to sit back and hope somebody else steps in. Or to just simply stay with what we're confident in or comfortable with. And this summer, we're looking at, in the Bible, these different seasons that God walks his people through. And not simply what God was doing in that season, but what God was doing through that season to form and prepare for the next. And so we recognize these different seasons of our lives that God is, is moving us through. Most of, many of times are not always the most pleasant or we wouldn't always choose seasons of fear or insecurity or when God is stirring stuff up or we feel alone or in the wilderness or that, that desert season. But we recognize that God is just as faithful and present in those seasons and that God's work in those seasons isn't just simply to get us through those seasons, but that we would emerge out of those seasons more fully the man or the woman that God always intended us to be. And so our hope in this series is that you'd be able to look back at different seasons of your life and be able to look back and go, oh, okay, that's what God was doing in a way that maybe would give you hope to recognize whatever season that you're in right now. And even when you don't see exactly what God is doing, to have the faith to know that he's doing something for your good and for your future. God's shaping you, forming you. And as we are looking at these different seasons that God is moving us into. And Dave Rhodes started us off a couple weeks ago and did just a phenomenal job looking at Jesus, the 40 days in the wilderness, and then pointing to these other examples of these 40 days of of God's work and people's lives or in the community's lives and what God was doing. And we're gonna actually take one of the stories that he mentioned and dive a little bit deeper, and that's this familiar story of David and Goliath probably a story that you have heard before. But my hope is that as we dive into this story, that maybe you could hear it with with fresh eyes and fresh ears. But before we go there, I was thinking about this idea of of, uh, God shaping men into to receive their identity as sons so that they can be empowered to live into their calling as fathers and recognizing that that journey of sonship and fatherhood. Yes, we have a really good father that guides us and, is, uh, and sees us and knows us and is calling us forth. But really men, to, to enter into that journey fully, we need other men in our lives. 
Let me say that again. Because I think this is one of the most underappreciated truths in, a, in our world, but even in the church. To fully enter into the journey that God has for you, we need other men in our lives. Even more than you need a woman. To become the guy, that, the man that God always created you to be, you need other men. There are things that no woman, not even your wife, can call out in you. And in fact, when we look to women to call out things in us as men, especially our wives, we're putting something on them that they were never meant to carry. We need other men alongside of us. And so I actually wanted to invite a good friend of mine up and just to, to ask a few questions about a journey that he's been on, a similar journey. So I'm going to bring Todd up. Give Todd a round of applause. For being, uh, for being willing to do this. And I, this is, I know, is a little bit scary. Like, I know some of you, even as I'm just talking about this idea of men needing other men or idea of stepping into fatherhood or facing our fears inside just as you're sitting there by yourself, your stomach is going, oh, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, yeah, that, that feels really scary. Well, Todd's up here to do that in front of all of you. So this is going to be great. That's awesome. Yeah, so Todd, just, just real fast, uh, you were sharing with me earlier about about just your own experience of learning what it means to be a father, but coming out of your own experience of right. a father. Yeah, so when I first came to faith, there was, um, there was some things happening in our family, but my, my dad did the best he could do, but the reality is he did the best he could do in the moment. Um, so there were some things that were lacking. I learned how to work hard, but there, when I got married, one of the first things I realized is that I wasn't prepared. Um, I didn't know what it looked like to love a woman well, to, to serve her, um, let alone to be a father. Um, and one of the first things that I realized is I really need, like at Grace, we talk about spiritual fathers. I need a spiritual father. I need somebody that I can sit down with and say, like, hey, how do you do this? Or what do you do when this happens? Um, and then as, be, as I became a father, I even realized more the absence of what I know, which wasn't much in the first place. But... Um, but sitting down at the table and, and hearing people talk about, um, man, my kids are getting to this age and I don't have these special moments anymore, just made me want to go home and have those special moments. Or somebody that I've sat down with was talking about coaching a baseball team or a basketball team and what it looked like to enter into conflict with other fathers. And I'm like, well, that's how I want to do it. So a lot of what I've learned is becoming a father isn't as much about what you have prepared as much as it is what I can watch and learn from other people. Because there are things that they bring to the table that allow me to do things better, but at the same time, there are things that they bring to the table that they didn't do well, or they did do well, and I can take it and twist and learn it for myself. Um, I will, this is just an extra bonus, I will say one of the things I learned from you um, was that to be, to be a good father, I had to be a great son to God. Um, but what I learned about being a son came from being a father. So a lot of times I would father my children and I would say things to them. And when I would say it to them, I meant it with all my heart. And it's like the Lord was whispering in my ear, hey, that's true for you too, which made me want to weep naturally. Um, but I became, the, the more I fathered, the more I became a son to God. The more I became a son to God, the better I fathered. Wow, that's good, man. Um, 
I don't actually, you basically answered all my questions. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> we, we talked through this and you, uh, no, it was great. Um, <laughs> no, it was uh, super powerful, man. Uh, so tell me specifically, so there's a lot of guys in this room and I know, you know, we can show up on Sunday and have coffee or a donut and, and talk, but like that experience, I know whether it's men's advance or being in a, a discipleship huddle, um, and you mentioned just being able to learn from other men, but Practically speaking, like at Grace, like how would you encourage guys in this room to engage in a way that they could have what you just described? Sure. Yeah. There's so there's some natural places of we have men's advance, we have a Saturday morning breakfast every single month, first Saturday of the month. Um, it's an ability to come in as a man and just be a man, have breakfast, eat meat, um, and, and be honest with what's going on in life. Um, but I'll tell you the two things that were best for me. It's that and being vulnerable in those moments. The other one is going up to a man that's older that you look up to and just saying, how do I learn? Will you sit down with me? Will you tell me more? Um, and the other one I, I did this year, there was a long time that I'm like, I want that deep, that Jonathan and David friendship. I want that deep friendship where we can be open and vulnerable and to, to be honest. Um, and honestly, it comes with asking. So I walked up to a guy and said, hey man, I want to grow a friendship. Can we have breakfast every Thursday? Um, but it's those moments where you, for me, where I look in the mirror and I think, I don't want to continue in this trajectory. I want to move in this one. So if I want to move in this one, what do I need to do biblically? Biblically, I need a mentor. I need a spiritual father. I need a friend to do it with. And I need men and community that I can sit around a table with. And if I can have those three things, I might not be perfect, but I'll at least head in the right direction. That's really good. Um, and so the last question I have is like, I mean, why do you think, and it's super bold first off, and I want to affirm that your willingness to go both to an older mentor to say, hey, let me learn from you. And then at a peer level to say, let's learn this thing, stuff together. That's huge. Why do you think most men are resistant to, like, even if we listen, it's like, yeah, that's brilliant. That makes total sense. But I'm not going to ever do that. Like, why, why do you think uh, most men are resistant to in inviting people into their life in that way? Honestly, I think it's terrified to be, terrifying to be known. Yeah. Like for somebody, it, at, at the deepest core of who we are, I think we want to be known and seen. But at the same time, being known and seen means you know all of it. And if you know all of it, it's like, do you even want to be around me anymore? Um, so that ability to come in and, and just be open and honest of, this is who I am, is terrifying. Um, but what I've learned more times than not is it's more terrifying to do than to live in. Because the moment you do it, you feel the freedom. The moment you feel the freedom, it's like, well, why didn't I do this a long time ago? Um, so typically, it, it's the, I'm probably going to butcher the saying, but um, faith is going as far as you can go and then taking another step. And I feel like in relationship, that's the way we are. We're like, well, I'll go to here, but I won't go to here. But if you'll just take that extra step, it's, it's not scary on the other side. It's just scary heading in. That's good. Man, that's really good. Well, um, Let's give Todd a round of applause. Well done. Thank you for sharing. And so as he said, I mean, I, I would encourage the same things in regards to one of the best things we can do is, you know, we don't need this to be socially engineered. I mean, really, it's just, is there another man in your life that you see and you're like, I want to get coffee with you, um, whether as a peer or as a mentor. Uh, and uh, But it is that big risk is the first um, 
is the first hurdle to overcome. And then the second is that, you know, there is space. If you're like, okay, I don't know. Like, I don't, I, I mean, I, I don't have other, I have coworkers or my boss or whatever, but I'm not going to open myself up in vulnerability to my boss. That might affect my job, right? I mean, like, so those kind of things. But where can I meet other people like that? And as, uh, as Todd mentioned, the, the men's advance group that meets once a month on Saturday mornings, the first Saturday of every month, uh, has breakfast together. It's just been a great space for guys just to get to know each other and to go just a little bit deeper, but out of that to see stronger friendships emerge. And then the other is, uh, and then I know on Thursday mornings, Ronnie McCart leads a group of, of men every Thursday morning for Bible study. So just a great, great group of guys that meet up here every Thursday at 7 uh, before they head off to work. And just uh, that initial introduction. And then also, uh, as mentioned with Todd, is that... Um, we're, we are expanding what we're calling discipleship huddles, leadership huddles, which is just, it's a year-long commitment, a deep dive uh, into your spiritual journey um, as men or as women. And so if that is something that is interesting to you, contact me or let me know. Uh, it's like, I would be, I want to like go deep to commit for a year with another group of men or women uh, to, go, to, to walk with me on into this next season of my spiritual journey. So I, I want to share all of that just so that it's not like just like uh, these sort of interesting concepts floating out in the air, but it's like, okay, no, this is like real life, practical. This is just how we walk and live this thing out, not just interesting ideas uh, that we uh, can talk about, but something that we can step into. And, and we see this lived in uh, or lived out in, in this amazing story. In First Samuel, and so I'm just going to read it, and then just take a few minutes and just pull a few things out about uh, about how God is calling us forth into more, and what God is sowing us into, or sowing into us in these different seasons of our lives. So, chapter 17. If you uh, if you know the story, uh, a few uh, kind of setting the stage. Israel uh, has faced a number of battles on the other side of being delivered out of slavery into freedom and being uh, walked into the promises of God, into the promised land. And, uh, and as they faced those battles and began to, uh, and began to at times, to uh, get shaky in their faith and uh, began to be hard-pressed on many sides and their circumstances got more difficult or they faced uh, uh, negative outcomes uh, they, and they faced what seemed like overwhelming enemies, they began to cry out for a king. And so they went to the prophet named Samuel and they said to Samuel, we want a king like the other, uh, the other uh, peoples around us who will, and their words is this, who will fight for us. We want a human king that we can see. Now, this deeply grieved Samuel when the people, when the leaders of the people went to him with that request, because who was supposed to be their king? God. Who was going to fight their battles? God. Who said, listen to me, and I will be with you? God. Like, God had already set himself up that they would be a different kind of kingdom. In fact, a kingdom of priests is what he had called them. In other words, that they would have a connection to the God Most High, the creator of the universe, and they would represent that God to the world, and then they would intercede for the world on, the, on the behalf of the world to God. 
They would be a kingdom of priests. The only problem was they couldn't see their king. He was the invisible king, this true king of the cosmos. And so they wanted something they could see. I think sometimes we can experience that in our own faith journey, right? And we want something tangible, something we can hold on to, a lucky charm that we can put in our pocket. We want a king. And Samuel goes to God, and he's like, God, you're not going to believe what they're asking, which is actually a funny thing to say to God, because God's like, yeah, I heard the whole conversation. But he's like, they're wanting this, and God's saying, it's okay, let them have it. And so God anoints this young man, a strapping young lad named Saul, who was taller and stronger than all of the other Israelites. He was good-looking. He, he had a leader presence. In fact, everything that they could imagine that they would want in a king was embodied in Saul. He looked like a king. The only problem was, even though he looked like a king, even though he looked like a warrior of a man, he was actually a scared little boy. In fact, at his coronation ceremony, that it's time to present him to Israel, Saul, their great king that's going to represent the people and fight their battles. And they're like, and we bring out Saul. And he doesn't appear. Like, okay, this is just, you know, for dramatic effects. You know, they're really trying to build it up and they get the band going again and the confetti cannons go off. Saul! And he's nowhere to be found. Samuel goes and finds him hiding, this is the language is interesting, hiding in the baggage of the people. And he grabs him, brings him forward, throws him in front of the people. It's like, no, you're a king, act like a king. Saul never actually learns to be who he was and always acted like who he believed that he was. In fact, another point, when Saul has, uh, in his fear, uh, acted against what God said, Samuel's words to him, and they're, they're so powerful, uh, it resonates that, I mean, I, I hold on to this, is he says, he said, um, you are small in your eyes, but God has made you a king. You are small in your eyes, but God has made you a king. It actually echoes uh, a story, the next 40 story we'll talk about next week, which is uh, when the people originally go out after being delivered out of Egypt to go spy out the promised land, and, they, and the spies come back, and they're like, it's amazing. You're not going to believe the fruit's as big as our head. It's unbelievable, but there's giants in the land. And we are like grasshoppers in our own eyes. God's like, you're my people. I'm your king. To Saul, you are small in your own eyes, but I have made you a king. But he could never live into who he actually was. He continued to act like who he believed he was. And so God calls forth another man, David, a young boy, a shepherd, the youngest in his family from a pretty insignificant family. And with these famous words in 1 Samuel 16, God says, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. 
talking about Saul. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And so even though Saul was a boy in a man's body, he saw in David a man in a little boy's body. And David, this overlooked shepherd boy, just a teenager when he was anointed king, would face one of the greatest challenges that the people of Israel had ever faced and was willing to step into it with faith. And so even as we read the story, the question then becomes like, what was it that enabled David to believe more in who God said he was than who he thought he could be? So as we read these stories, I want to look at them from two different perspectives. One is this, how is God moving us from immaturity to maturity? How is God moving us from being sons to becoming fathers, growing us in strength and character, growing us in wisdom and favor in the eyes of God and man? How is God moving us forward? And the second is this, though, just as important. How are we helping others do the same? How do we raise up a generation of giant killers? as parents and leaders, spiritual fathers and mothers, as disciple makers. So verse 1 in chapter 17, Now the Philistines had gathered their armies for battle. This was an ongoing war between Israel and the Philistines. And they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azekah. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered, and they camped in the valley of, of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had a bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of the spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spearhead weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went before him. In other words, he was a tank of a man. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. We're told that for 40 days, that's where we get our 40 story from, Goliath would come out and he would shout the same challenge to the troops of Israel. And for 40 days, the response was the same. The Israelites would run and flee back to their tents and Saul would hide in the luggage. Have you ever faced a season of fear? when you felt overwhelmed, when you didn't know what to do, 
where it felt like the world was crashing down around you. We use all kinds of different words for fear, don't we, that sound better than I'm scared. I'm anxious. I'm worried. I'm just thinking a lot about it. Have you ever felt overwhelmed? And what do we learn from David in this season? Well, now David, he was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. We've already learned David's story from earlier. And in the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. And the three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, next to him, Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. Now the three eldest, they followed Saul. But David, he went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And for 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. And Jesse said to David, his son, take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these 10 loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. And also take these 10 cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. So what do we find out first about David? What was he doing during those 40 days of fear? He was serving his father faithfully. You see, what's amazing about this story is that David had already been told that he was anointed as the future king of Israel. And the first thing David does after being told that he's going to be king of all of the people is he goes back and he, begin, and he go, returns to tend his father's sheep. Even here, he's faithful to take care of the sheep. Now, at, at Saul eventually hires David to come work for him. And uh, David was known to be a skilled harpist. And so, uh, so Saul would be tormented by these evil spirits. And, and so Saul asked, is there anyone that can calm me while I'm being tormented? And they were like, well, we heard about this kid that's a great harpist who happened to be David and brings him to serve Saul. Whenever Saul was being tormented, David would play his harp and that would soothe him and calm him down. And so we see here that, that David is going back and forth from tending his father's sheep to also taking care of Saul and his mental illness and spiritual oppression. And he's going back and forth doing two very unimpressive jobs. And one, he is simply a musician in the corner of the room providing background music to a tormented king. And then the other, he is muddy and messy and smelly in the field with a bunch of sheep. But he was faithful with what was in front of him. What made David able to face the giant is that he had first learned to be faithful in the small things. And there are a lot of times I know in my life that I want to go out and, and conquer the world and win great spiritual battles and victories and do great things for God. And what God is saying, yeah, but just be faithful with what's right in front of you. Be faithful with the small things with a three-year-old in your home, with a coworker in the cubicle next to you, with, that, with that, those five seventh-grade boys, just be faithful with what's 
in front of you. And what's amazing is we never know which tiny, insignificant moment is the one that actually leads to the greater breakthrough. For David, when his dads told him to go deliver a care package to his brothers, for him, it was just another Thursday. I mean, I don't actually know what day of the week it was. But it was just another day. He's with the sheep, doing what he does, being faithful in the small things. His dad calls him over, here, take this to your brothers and, and, to, their, uh, and to their commanders. And he says, okay. And he, and he leaves the sheep to be taken care of so he doesn't shirk his responsibilities as excited as he might be to go, to go watch the battle firsthand. But it's in that moment of honoring his father, of serving well in the insignificant that God is actually setting him up to face the battle that he was built to fight. So he didn't just embrace the waiting, he also embraced the wilderness, the lonely places. How did a small boy become a giant killer? Because he learned to worship in the wilderness. He learned in the alone moments with God what was true. He learned to recognize God's voice. It was there in the wilderness that he embraced his identity and the call for his life. It was in the, in the hidden battles that he learned what it meant, means to fight. He learned that danger didn't destroy him. He learned that pain didn't kill him. He learned not to run from a problem, but to face what came at him head on. He learned that when he was alone, that he could rely on God for strength and courage. He took responsibility for dealing with problems when they came. He learned to fight the hidden battles in secret places before he was positioned for public victories. He learned to trust God's provision and timing. He learned to be vulnerable and honest before God. And he learned to submit to God's process. I name all of these things because when we're in a season of fear, when we're in a season of waiting, the question becomes, who are we listening to? And what are we leaning into? In those 40 days, we know who the Israelites were listening to. They were listening to Goliath and to each other. And what they heard in Goliath was, you're a bunch of insignificant, tiny little people, and I'm going to destroy you. And what they heard from each other is, we're a bunch of tiny, insignificant people, and he's going to destroy us. Who are you listening to? Like, what are you filling your head with? When you feel lonely, when you're scared, when you're overwhelmed, is your tendency to avoid to hide, to run away, or to lean into God. To be honest with him, hey, this is where I am. That's what David was so amazing about, is that if you read the Psalms, he didn't sugarcoat anything. I mean, there's times in the Psalms that he's like, God, where are you? Have you abandoned me? Do you not care about me? I'm in the miry pit. I'm lost and alone. God, restore my soul. May my heart cry out for you again in a dry and weary land where there is no water. 
What is God teaching you in the hidden places? David learned to face his fears not by dialoguing with the enemy or unhelpful conversations with others, but by being honest with God, leaning in and learning that his God is faithful. Later when he goes to to Saul and tells him to send him to go fight Goliath, Saul says to him, you're just a little boy and he's been a fighting man from his youth. Who are you to fight him? And David's answer, his famous answer, listen, when I was tending my father's sheep and a bear came, I grabbed it and I killed it. And when a lion came, I grabbed it and I killed it. This defiant Philistine will be like one of them because he's defied the armies of the living God. He could fight a giant because he learned to fight lions and bears and discover that in fighting, in those, smaller, in those smaller battles, that God was faithful and he trusted God to be faithful again. He had all that he needed to fight Goliath. He had history with God and he knew how to tell his story rightly. With these guys that are a part of these uh, discipleship huddles, there's, there's three things that I've, I've just learned that has to be present as we're discipling young men to become who God has called them to be. And I think this is true as we're raising our boys into manhood. One is, they got, is, is we have to learn how to tell our story rightly from God's perspective. I mean, we all tell ourselves a version of our story, don't we? I was abandoned, I was rejected, I screwed that up, I'm a mistake, I was lost, I've never had enough, I've always struggled, I'm an idiot. Right, we, all, we all have our story that we tell ourselves, right? But we have to learn to tell our story from God's perspective, that we look at those places of brokenness or fear or loss or grief or struggle, and we let God speak into them, this is what's true. This is what's true about you. This is what's true about me. You felt abandoned, but I never left you. You felt little, but I was beside you. You felt lost, but I was with you. Yes, you failed here, but I was there to pick you up. I have forgiven you every step of the way and I never turned my face away from you. What story are you telling yourself? And one of the most powerful things that I've watched men do in these groups is learn to tell each other their story and let God speak and rewrite their story from his perspective. And the power that gives to them to live into the next season of their life, but also the power that it gives one another as we hear each other's story. Because often, so many times, we're able to see God's fingerprints in somebody else's story easier than we're able to see God's fingerprints in our own story. Amen? And so we hear somebody share their story, and we go, oh my gosh, it's amazing what God did in your life there. And they're looking at it going, how awful was it that I had to go through that? We need to be able to tell our story rightly and we need to know our name. 
who we, or cre- who we are to God and who we were created by God to be. David, as he's getting ready to go fight to Goliath, he goes to Saul, he convinces Saul that he's the one, the champion, to go and fight this battle. Which is, again, the irony of ironies, because Saul was the king that was supposed to fight the battles for the people, and instead he's sending this young boy to go fight. But what he does is he wants to send him in his own armor. And so he tries to put uh, Saul's armor, uh, this big... uh, large, strong man on David, this shepherd boy. So David puts on Saul's armor, and he's walking around, clanking around. He's like, I can't do this. So he strips off the armor. He's not trying to be somebody else. Saul needed to wear his own armor. But Saul refused to step into the power that he had to fight the battles that he was equipped to fight and instead let somebody else fight the battles. God allowed the person to allow somebody else to step in but wasn't going to fight the way that Saul could fight because David was not Saul. And I think sometimes in our lives, we can look at other men or other women around us and be like, well, man, yeah, I'd be an amazing mother if I was as compassionate as she is. I'd be an awesome dad if I was as athletic as he is. If I had the job that that he has and I could make that kind of money and take my kids on those kind of trips or pay for those kinds of camps... If I had that experience, I was raised in that amazing family, so I had a model for what it looks like, then I, would have been, I could be an amazing. And God's like, no, 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 you are you. And I knit you together in your mother's womb, and I don't make mistakes. And I gave you what you need. First Peter that says that he's given us everything that we need for life and for godliness. And the question and the the reality is that we keep thinking that we need somebody else's armor to go fight the battles that God's put in front of us. And God's like, no, 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 take all that off and you go as you and the things that I've given you. David knew how to fight with a sling and a stone. And so what did he go with? A sling and a stone. Stand in your own skin. But sometimes it's really scary to take off the false armor that we've put on to present ourselves as bigger than we are to the rest of the world. And so when talking about our resistance as men to enter into that kind of space where we could be truly known, what he's talking about is that I don't want to take this armor off because yes, even though it doesn't fit me, it still feels safe behind it. And if you saw me, the little shepherd boy that's been hidden away with just a handful of stones and a sling, you would laugh and run away. Which is actually what Goliath does. He doesn't run away, but he laughs. Who are you to send this little puppy to come fight a man like me? And David's like, oh, let me show you who I am. And who I am has actually nothing to do with me. It's because you've defied the living God and I represent him. And then lastly, as my friend Drew McClure stole this line from him, sling what you got. God has given each and every one of us in this room unique stories and experiences and gifts and talents and abilities and the kingdom of God, it all matters. 
And I love the illustration Todd just gave about that faith is going as far as you can and then taking one more step. That is absolutely true. Faith is about simply taking the next step. Sling what you got. What is God calling you into? How is he inviting you to tell your story rightly, to stand in your own skin, whatever battles you're facing, to embrace the wilderness to, and, and, to, and the waiting, to tend the sheep that are in front of you. But just as importantly, for most of the people, most of us in this room, it isn't simply about us learning what it means to move from boys to men, sons to becoming, uh, or learning what it means to be boys to becoming men, but sons becoming fathers. to teach the next generation how to be faithful in small things, what to do in the waiting. We have to leave them in the field for our sons and our daughters. We have to give them opportunities to be alone with God. I think about my most powerful encounters with God have been when I have felt pushed to the edge, pushed to the limits, scared or alone, and then realized I didn't die. We have to let our kids face their own battles. to learn their story, to receive God's identity for them. And we can help them hear their name from God, but they have to receive it for themselves. I mean, it's what Samuel does when he blesses David. David, who's been neglected and forgotten by his own father. And Samuel sees him, and he sees more in him. That's what it means to bless. So as we continue in worship with this familiar story in our hearts and our heads, the question, the twofold, the challenge, what is God calling you into that you've been too scared to face? And often it's smaller than we imagine. It's that phone call we've been avoiding, that conversation that we haven't had that place of releasing and forgiveness someone else or even ourselves. It's the invitation to a cup of coffee or to show up at a baseball game. What's that place of fear that you've been unwilling to face? And even looking back at your life, how has God uniquely equipped you in your story to stand right where you're standing with things that you're holding, to sling what you've got. And then second, is God bringing anyone to mind that your role in their life is to call them into more, to raise up a generation of giant killers? Is that to take them into the wilderness to let them face their challenges? What are the places that God's inviting you to engage, to raise up as spiritual fathers and mothers? So I wanna pray for us. As we worship, as we do, we invite you into communion to receive the elements, that ever-present reminder of God's faithfulness to us in Jesus Christ. That ultimately, 
As we look at David defeating Goliath, David was just a model of a greater champion who was going to come and fight and win the greatest victory over sin and death. And that is Jesus who battles on our behalf. And so Jesus, as he took that bread and broke it, said, take and eat. And every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me. The reminder, the presence of God in you, with you, for you. The, thing, the very thing the Israelites always had, but they forgot. The thing that Saul carried, but he didn't remember is the same thing that we too can so easily forget. And God said, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, my presence with you always. You are never alone. You are never stuck. You are never lost and you are never hopeless because of a God who battles for you. And so we take that bread, that subtle reminder, and we put it in our mouth and remember this bread is as real as the God who sees me and knows me and loves me. And then he took that cup and he said, this cup is my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins, the forgiveness of God in Jesus Christ, that nothing in heaven or on earth separates us from the love of God. We receive that forgiveness of Christ. And so we have wine and bread available at the front tables. We also have available uh, the, the packets with grape juice and the, the gluten-free wafers, if you prefer that uh, for your kids or for your own. And so I wanna just pray for us. I'm gonna open up the, the altar to come and pray and to surrender whatever we need to surrender to God. If there's somebody else you feel like God's leading you to go encourage or to go bless, do that in this time. We have our prayer team around the room, things going on. Let us pray as a community of faith. Let us worship. So Lord, God, in our own hearts, and our minds, our imaginations, will you call forth, Lord, in us? Lord, what are the battles that we are, that we are too scared to face? What are the places that you're calling us to step into, to engage? to take a risk, to be vulnerable, to show up. Lord, if there's anyone here that has never received you into their life as their Lord and Savior, has never entered into the freedom of that forgiveness that you offer, I pray that even right now, Lord, they would receive you, Jesus, in the forgiveness of sins. that you call them son and daughter and that you invite them to have a place at your table. And God, for those who need you to rewrite their story, Lord, will you reveal the lies that we believe about who we are and who you are, that we could walk in the freedom of your truth. God, will you minister to our hearts and may we minister to one another as a community of faith, even right now. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. <laughs>